I want to start with Acts 4.13. Then I'm going to go off on a tangent. And I'm going to be finishing up. Then I'm going to show you some scary stuff. Which, if it doesn't scare you, you really were not paying enough attention. That's your clue. Um, then I'm going to finish up with Acts, uh, probably Habakkuk, actually, Habakkuk chapter 3. So that's a rough outline of where I'm headed. Here is my starting point, Acts 4.13. All of you are pretty knowledgeable. Jesus has been executed. He's risen. He spent 40 days with the disciples. He's gone back, and these guys are on their own. They've been preaching, and the Pharisees were not happy about it. And at this point, they've been arrested and uh, should be terrified. Because the Romans had a very pragmatic approach. As long as you paid the taxes and didn't rebel too much, they really didn't care what you guys got up to. It was a very straightforward approach. And so when the Pharisees were arresting uh, Peter, James, and John, they could do a lot of horrible things to these guys. And anybody in the right mind would be terrified. Maybe I need to move somewhere. And what they noticed was something very odd. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and knew these guys were uneducated, untrained people. Hunter talked about this a few weeks ago. And then they figured something out. These guys had been with Jesus. I never thought about the significance of that, really, until this week. When I got thinking about how I got saved. I want to take a few moments. I'll promise I'll keep it brief because I know it can take forever. Um, I was getting fat, dumb and happy in Texas. I was working for IBM and was having an absolute blast. And the company I worked for asked me if I wouldn't mind taking a week to help the Philadelphia Stock Exchange, uh, Philadelphia Exchange, out with a problem. They had a system, they were developing some new system where a trader enters some couple of quotes into a computer. It's going to bounce through six or seven computers before it goes out to the big wide world. And there are some severe restrictions and constraints. You cannot lose that quote. I don't care if a nuclear bomb falls on Philadelphia. You cannot lose the quote that the trader entered. It will not be allowed to happen. Second, the SEC says this message must go from his fingers to some guy out in Mongolia within a set time. So it was a very, very complex system. And I had a weird background. So they said, well, would you mind helping these guys out? It will only take a week. No problem. I packed the guy. I packed away guys' pack. You don't need seven shirts for seven days. You don't. Well, anyway, um, women pack differently. I thought, okay, how bad can a week be? 
Next time I went back to Texas was 15 years later. Uh, A week can be a very long time. Normally, the company would put you in a hotel, give you a car, except they put me in the uh, Holiday Inn. That was about a a block, and I'm not sure if it was even a block from the exchange. So they weren't about to give me a car. Some in a city where the only people I know in America are about a thousand half miles this away in Texas. The only other people I know are two and a half thousand miles across the ocean. So I'm in the middle of nowhere. I can't go anywhere, can't do anything, don't know anybody. I'm, I might as well be on a desert island. Step two. You've seen these lists every now and then of the most stressful jobs in the world. Air traffic air traffic controllers are typically high up on the list because you can kill a whole bunch of people. The people who compile that list are idiots. That is not the most stressful job in the world. The worst thing that happened with the air traffic controller, uh, you get a, two or three hundred people killed. Big deal. The biggest and most stressful job in the world is foreign currency exchange. You can lose millions, hundreds of millions, in no time at all. I know we're supposed to care about human life and all that, but we're talking about serious amount of money here. Okay, so we need to get our priorities straight. The, just for information, um, some of you, I looked this up because so some of you won't know this. The New York Stock Exchange trades about $40 billion worth of stuff every day. About $40 billion. It's a lot of money. It'll take the government about a couple of hours to spend it. So, I mean, it's a serious amount of money. The foreign exchange market, the FX market, trades $4 trillion per day. It's about 800 times bigger. For... In, in, if you look at the various financial markets, the New York Stock Exchange could fall into the ocean. Nobody would notice. It's not even a rounding error in the FX market. So when I say you can lose serious money very, very quickly on the Philly Exchange, yeah, that's no joke. And if you walk out of this building into uh, the outside world, here we have air conditioning, Outside there isn't, and you'll notice an immediate jump in temperature and humidity, and it's like walking into a sauna when you step outside of here. The field exchange was the exact opposite. You could be relaxed and calm, but the moment you stepped inside the door, you could feel the tension. Most of the time, the traders are just playing golf or solitaire on the computers most of the time. And it's the laziest place in the world. If something happens, Reagan gets shot, or some um, Greenspan makes some idiotic comment about irrational exuberance or some other crazy thing, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars are going to be made and lost in the next few minutes. The place goes nuts. The reason I mention all that, there was one fellow who worked there 
that didn't seem to feel the stress. He might as well have been a drug. I think he might have been acting, I'll think about it. But anyway, um, he was calm and laid back when everybody else was incredibly stressed out. And one day I asked him what was going on. What, why was that? And he said, oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, made a note not to talk to him too much. Um, then one day, uh, I used to go back to the hotel for lunch because you have to get out of that pressure cooker. Now and then. I saw this documentary on Noah's Flood. And the way these guys did it was very sensible. Most people are very tempted to, uh, when they, if they do a documentary on it at all, they'll just dismiss it, it didn't happen, fairy story, blah, blah. But these guys did something intelligent. They said, what would we expect to find, even today, that's easy to explain if a flood happened? And very hard to explain if it didn't. And that's an intelligent way of going about it. Uh, so I thought, okay, I'll watch that. I watched most of that. Went back to work and told John Costello about it, because I thought he'd be interested. And he began telling me even more about Jesus Christ and what he had done in his life. The struggles he'd had and what Christ had brought him through. And I realized something. Most people, this guy actually believed the Bible. I'd never met anybody like that. I'd met lots of people who said they were Christians or thought they were Christians, but paid no attention to them. This guy actually believed every word. The second thing was, I couldn't dismiss him as an idiot, because he was doing the same job I was. You know, that's problems with that. So I thought, well, I didn't have anything else to do because um, I'm in a weird country, in a weird city, and really, um, America is weird, by the way, just you don't notice that so much. Um, So I thought, well, I've seen all these quiz shows, I've seen all these films, I'm bored stupid anyway. Why not take a couple of evenings to take a look at the Bible just so I can figure out how much nonsense it really is. Because I'm pretty sharp. You know, um, I'd like to be humble someday, but, you know, why waste the time? Um, I thought I was a pretty sharp guy, and it wouldn't be that difficult to discover how much nonsense it really was. It wouldn't take more than a couple of evenings. It wasn't like I was doing anything anyway. And so I thought, okay, no problem. I'll start with the Old Testament, because the older the stuff is, the more nonsense it's likely to be. That was my theory. I discovered something really odd. There's really hardly a good person in the whole Bible. Did you ever notice that? If, um, you guys won't know this, but if you read the Hindu scriptures, uh, Judy knows this be- uh, better now, um, If you read the Hindu scriptures, they're filled with people like Arjuna, who has lots of faith, lots of courage, and is just Superman in disguise. Does not put a foot wrong. He will go 
And in the Bible, you have people like Jonah. God says, go that way. No problem. Abraham. Nice enough guy. But was Sarah his wife or his sister? Well, depends what the weather's like, you know. Um, Jacob was no better. And that won't strike most of you as a big deal, that they read these guys are not superheroes. You're used to that. But I was a Hindu. I'd been a Hindu all my life. Finding something that's supposed to be holy and filled with idiots is really quite a shock. I got as far as, it's in King somewhere, I, I should have checked it out, I guess. But there was some prophet, God told him to go to this village, deliver a message, leave by a different route, do not stop for food or drink. Uh, most of you probably remember the story. This guy on his way back, he does steps one and two, in the midst of doing step three, he stops for food with somebody, and pretty soon he's killed. I suddenly realized God held everybody to the same standard. He didn't have favorites. I stopped reading the Old Testament and decided I would try the new. And in a way, it's even worse, actually. Because what you discover is the disciples had no clue what was going on. No clue. When you come in your kingdom, I want to be sitting on your right hand and my brother on your left. And they're jostling for, jostling for position. This is the corporate world. They had no clue. They're fumbling, they're stumbling. They're lost. And what I realized was, if you and I were to write down everything that happened in the previous week, forget a week, go back two days, there are things you're going to leave out. Because if you put them in, everyone will know you're an idiot. You have to airbrush out even events going back a week. Maybe you don't. I do. Sorry. These guys recorded all that. What happens with fairy stories, with lies, you can make them sound good, sensible, and straightforward. The problem with the truth is it tends to be a mess. It doesn't come gift-wrapped and with a nice bow on it. It's untidy and it's messy. And that's how one of the ways you know that something is the truth. Things don't follow a nice, straight trajectory. It doesn't happen that way. I found myself coming to the conclusion that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. He said he was the Son of God. And I found that I believed him. It sounds good, except actually there's a major problem with that. I was a Hindu, remember? Most of you, if your son or your daughter says, Mom, Dad, or some such, I've become a Christian, you're going to be incredibly happy. I knew my family wouldn't be. I spent about a week going back and forth on whether I would decide to follow him or not. Because I knew what the price was going to be. 
eventually it came down to one simple thing. I believed him. He said he was a son of God. I believed him. And my mother had brought me up with a, not quite the language you want to hear, but it's a kind of bloody-minded attitude. That is, if you believe something is true, you listen to your friends, but eventually you do what you believe to be the right. I think it was some Roman philosopher said, let justice be done, though the heavens crash. My mother lived that out, and I believe, and I, I followed her. Of course, my family decided I was a complete idiot and wouldn't talk to me for months afterwards. All my friends became ex-friends. Um, I had this collector a new hobby. Um, some people collect stamps and coins. I began collecting insults. Every, um, being called an idiot doesn't do anything for me anymore because I've probably got 50 of those insults already. One more I don't need. The best insult I ever collected was being called a wandering transvestite. That was creative. Yeah, that puzzled me as well. It's creative. Here's why it went down this path of telling you how I got saved. What happened was I saw somebody whose behavior really puzzled me. He should have been stressed out. Everybody else was. I was. He wasn't. The reason I mention all that is what we're heading into. Um, what's the lady's name over there? Kim? Could you go to the uh, messages folder for me for a few minutes? Judy's heard all this from me lots of times. With what I'm about to show you, if you're not seriously concerned, you were not paying attention. Um, pick up any of them. It doesn't matter. We are in a country, in a world actually, that is broke. We know California is broke. They're busy issuing IOUs, which is unconstitutional, by the way, for those that care about silly stuff. Uh, this is New York State. They are broke as well. Uh, can you go to the next one? It really doesn't matter. The order really doesn't matter. Seriously. Um, pick anyone. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, in, in Europe, it's easier for me to go and live and work in Germany than to go and live and work in Florida. Seriously. It's called the EU, European Union. A guy who is in charge of the bureaucracy for the EU thinks that democracies in a whole bunch of European countries are likely to collapse and be replaced by military juntas. There's not some crazy idiot uh, speaking out of the back of his mouth. No, this is the head of the uh, EU. Not that long ago, Greece was a military dictatorship. So was Spain. According to him, it's on the cards again. Uh, if you want to go on to the next one. I'll do one more and then stop. Oh, yeah, this one's boring. California being broke. When was that ever news? Uh, do you want to go on to the next one? One last one, then I'll stop. 
the state of Illinois does not have the money to buy bullets anymore. True story. It, it's, they stopped paying their bills. They ha- they're broke. The, um, I could, because I've work, worked for Citigroup for a long, long time, have a master's in mathematical finance and stuff like that. I could bore you silly with how much debt the U.S. government has, how much it's on the hook for, the average maturity, the average amount they need to borrow each year as a result of that maturity. And I know that I'm probably Judy's answer to uh, sleeping pills because all I've got to do is start talking about some of this stuff. And if anybody needs me to, we can spend time on that. Bottom line is very simple. We are broke. If you, I, the head of the EU is convinced that dictatorships are on their way in a couple of European countries. I'd be very surprised if Japan didn't collapse in the next few years. Because by the way, if you think our spending is crazy, you have not looked at Japan's. They make us look pretty sensible. Um, And they have another problem with demographics, which I can also bore you silly on. It would not surprise me that much if we had a a major change in our political systems in this country and in Japan and in the UK and in a bunch of other European countries. And I'm not talking about this party wins versus that party wins. I'm talking about overthrowing the political system, replacing it with something else. That's something that's very much on the cards. And I hope I'm wrong. I don't want to see redcoats getting shot again. It was bad enough last time. What we are headed into, if we could go to the quote from Habakkuk, chapter 4, verse, this is sort of where I think I want to head and finish. If you remember the book of Habakkuk, the poor guy was very upset. The politicians were crooked, judges were crazy. Yeah, okay, yeah, it was a long time ago, obviously not today. Um, and he was very upset about why God didn't seem to be paying any attention to it. So God said, Habakkuk, don't sweat it. It's all under control. I'm going to bring the Babylonians over. They're going to kill, rape, maim, pillage, plunder. And that's my solution to this. I think the problem was, the solution is worse than the problem, actually, according to him. But in 4.13, um, Habakkuk 4.13, it is... Oh, I'm sorry. I was just testing. That's what it was. I was testing. I want 3.17, maybe. 16 through 18. Chapter 3, 16 through 18. Okay, um, I think I can speak faster than she can type. In Habakkuk chapter 4, the poor guy's busy. Hmm? Three. For some reason, I've got chapter 4 frozen on my brain. Sorry about that. Poor guy is having a panic attack. 
And if you haven't read about the Babylonians, um, if you have, if you had, the more you know about them, you'd also have a panic attack. Okay, but he says something amazing, something about even though the the uh, the harvest is terrible and what have you, I'll put it in our vernacular. He's able to say even if the stock market crashes, and my four hundred one goes south and my IRA disappears on me, I will still worship the Lord. Those are the days we are heading into. That means two things are going to happen. First, we need to, be make, we need to find out if we really trust the Lord or if we just think we do. That issue is going to be put to the test. And a lot of people that think they trust him will discover that they really don't. Because as Ken said uh, on a couple of Fridays ago, if God is so good, how come I'm broke? If God is so good, how come I'm losing my house? If God is so good, fill in the blank. If we are not able to say, like Habakkuk, like Job, I don't care what my eyes are showing me. The cities are on fire, our finances are shot, doesn't matter. God is good and does good. If we are not able to say that, we will not be wasting time in a church. We will not be following Jesus because he's an idiot and we want nothing to do with him. That's what we will do if our trust is not in him. That's going to be put to the test. The second thing, I was saved because there was somebody that relied on Jesus whose life was transformed by him in the midst of one of the most incredibly stressful places in the world. He was a walking sermon. He got me reading the Bible. Yes, my motives sucked. I was trying to disprove the whole thing. But the more I tried to disprove it, the more I ended up believing it. And by the way, some of the best books on apologetics have been written by people who set out to disprove the whole thing. How do you know how strong a rope is? You put weight on it. And you keep putting weight on it until you know it breaks. How do I know the Bible is reliable? Because I tried very hard to prove it was nonsense. And I'm pretty bright. The days are coming when we will be tested like everybody else. But our response is going to be one that's very different to that of most people around us. We, God is going to make us walking sermons. There is a tremendous harvest coming. The reaper will be the Holy Spirit. His messengers, his tools will be us. Our response to the crisis our reliance on the Holy Spirit is going to make us look so strange and so odd to the people around us that what God did with me in drawing me in, he's going to be doing with many of us.